Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to Cage Den. I'm your host, Petros, and week by week, I go film by film through the career of Nicolas Cage to find out if he is a vicious snowflake, vital to the history of cinema, or is he crazy evil? Something that should be expunged and wiped off the record for all eternity. Each week, I invite on a guest and ask them, are they a Nick Cage fan? What was their first and which is their favourite of his movies? Unfortunately, on this episode, that may not be the case. They may come up in the conversation as we go, but they're not in the usual format that you are used to. However, the guest I have on this week more than makes up for that as David Mills auditioned for a role in this movie. So we get a unique opinion from a man, in my opinion, who is far too handsome to have played Brother Swan. David also discusses a scene that was used for the audition process but happened to not make the movie. This conversation with David was recorded mid-April, so there'll be plenty of pandemic chat and there's even a brief mention of Tiger King. Remember that? For those of you who haven't listened before, we will be talking about this film in forensic detail. So if you'd like to watch the film before listening to the episode, please do switch off now. You can always find a handy document in the show notes which will tell you if and where the film is streaming. So if you're back with us, there's only one thing left to do and that's to get raging with Cage. Very special together. 
What you gonna do with that thing? Going hunting. So what you hunting? It's crazy evil. You think you're so in love? I'll show you love. The cosmic darkness. It glowed from within. Strange and eternal. Welcome to this week's episode of the Caged In Podcast, where I'm talking about the drug-soaked, surrealist, horror, fantasy, metal, epic, Mandy. But I'm not doing it alone. I'm doing it with London-based actor-comedian David Mills. How are you, David? I'm well. Hello. How are you? Yeah, not not too bad. A bit a bit shaken and stirred from having watched this film. It's it's, it's left a lasting impression on me, to say the least. <laughs> it's it's quite something, isn't it? I mean, I I think um, I think it's an amazing film. It's a mess. I think it's a mess, and I think it's it's too long. It needed an edit, but I I think I would highly recommend it. I think it's a, a, a really um, a singular vision, and it was enjoyable for that reason, you know, so regularly you see films that are forgettable. And even if this was a messy, you know, extended, overly long kind of um, vision, at least it was a a, a proper vision. I felt the same about, um, about Midsummer. I don't know if you saw Midsummer. Yes. That, that, that stayed with me probably ever since I saw it. Yes. Yeah, also a mess. I thought also a mess, but <laughs> a, a worthwhile mess. Well, like, and I, I, that's what I would say about this film. It's a worthwhile mess. As I always start off my podcasts, uh, I always ask my guests for one: Are you a Nicolas Cage fan? Because that can that can change people's perception on his films quite a bit. I guess. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm not I'm not specifically a Nicolas Cage fan. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a, a huge <laughs> follower of Nicolas Cage, but uh, this film I've I've wanted to see since it came out, because as you know, I was up for a part in the film and I yes. fantasized that <laughs> it would have been really great for my career. But it turns out that the film kind of came and went and not, you know, I don't know that anyone benefited, that anyone benefited from it in the end. Well, I think this is one of those films, like from, from watching it, is something that will gain like a late night cult status over time. Like very mm. much reminded me mm. of... Um, uh, Hodorowsky's uh, The Holy Mountain with just like the kind of drug induced like surrealism that, and like the imagery that this um, pulls upon and like you said with it is its own vision and it's overly long it's very much a film of two parts it kind of uh, we don't even get the, the title the title card until halfway through the film and I guess yeah. for the listeners pr- probably should back up a moment and just kind of I don't know like the first half can be explained very quickly and maybe just 
one like a couple of sentences because for a two-hour film really not a lot happens really right yeah nothing happens (laughs) i mean it just sets up this kind of weird um kind of uh world it's all about establishing i think a visual style yes in the first half isn't it and um it shows this kind of weird uh isolation world that uh uh, nicholas cage and his girlfriend wife partner andrea riseborough live out in the forest out in the kind of fir trees in you imagine like the pacific northwest in the u.s or somewhere like that yeah the the shadow mountains and we again we have this beautiful title card that kind of shimmers onto the screen that, that shows you where they are and it's as you say about the colors it's or like the the tone it's very much the first half of this film is very much reds and yeah. blues it's so it's soaked like and green yeah i felt uh, yeah yeah the green kind of mm-hmm. that comes the out trees of, and yeah and the neon green that comes out of nowhere with the uh with the ex- it always seems to be exchanging of these mythical um instruments whether it be the uh the weird horn that they have to summon these kind of cenobite like I love the horn, yeah. Yeah. Or or the or the um the knife of the pale king. Uh, again, some like yeah sets up all this crazy world of mythology and it just goes with it. It doesn't it doesn't say but, but then also <laughs> sort of mixed with this weird kind of white trash yes. American kind of you would imagine like opioid addicted backwoods appalachian kind of um weird weird sort of survivalist kind of cult type people that live out in the woods in their own little compound well i guess it's very like it's very fitting to talk about this film at at the time we are because uh tiger king is such such a rage and like you kind of yeah weirdly watching this film i was like oh all of a sudden we've got these hit like quote-unquote hillbillies in the woods doing the hardest drugs imaginable they kind of have this strain of super lsd then out of nowhere in this film like many moments there's just a a caged tiger uh belonging to a chemist which is like and yeah we have jeremiah snow this egomaniacal cult leader who again is just bizarre looking and kind of feels like he can have everything and thing i took away from his character is he weirdly portrays um like a donald trump-esque character of this he had a former glory as a um as a celebrity in his own right uh jeremiah snow in this uh, jeremiah sands in this case being a folk artist in the 70s but now has kind of taken on this leader role as yeah the leader of this uh got uh, like uh, what are they called the children of the new age like yeah it's Jesus like a family you, yeah. you imagine like manson or something mm-hmm. in the manson family you know a lot of these cults always feel like that they they always seem, seem to kind of have this family built around a leader and it's a lot of brother this and sister that you know and you know it's funny you mentioned tiger tiger king because i have been speculating that that is really a story 
of methamphetamines. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a massive meth problem in the U.S. among the white working class and also in the gay world. And that was like a nexus of sort of gay meth use and white working class meth use that, you know, was touched on in in Tiger King. But I think it's actually a much bigger part of that story than anyone was talking about. That's why they were all so fucking crazy. <laughs> They're all meth heads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And that's why they some of them had no teeth, you know? And I think this film as well feels like a like a meth-fueled fantasia, you know? The behavior is so bizarre. You could think like it could only be meth. And you could imagine that that um, brother, what, what was his name? The, the leader, Brother Sands or... or, or Je- yeah, Jeremiah. Jeremiah Sands probably had them all sort of, um, you know, uh, hooked on meth. So he followed them in the same way that Joe Exotic found these straight boys and somehow made them his husband. <laughs> he essentially got them addicted to meth. <laughs> well, right? Well, yeah, with this, like, it's a key, it's a key tactic of his in this film because... Out of nowhere, he decides, I guess, very much like Joe Exotic from what he's portrayed, is I want that. I don't care. I don't care yes. what their what their sexual leanings are. In yeah. this, he decides I want Mandy. There is no explanation for it, and yeah. his egomaniacal ways have kind of. He feels like he can have anything, and sends uh, Brother Swan um, off to collect her. And there's this weird pact he has with these, uh, I think they're called like the Black Riders or, again, they look they look like something straight out of the, the pages of like a Clive Barker novel, like Hellraiser or something like yeah. that. Kind of. Yeah, and also a little bit like that kind of, all that Def Leppard kind of uh, illustration from, yes. those, from those album covers back in the 80s and 90s, you it's, know? It's really interesting you say that because uh, I, I, I watched like quite a few interviews with uh, Panos Cosmotos and um, Nicolas Cage to kind of try and get some like where this where this kind of imagery came from. And um, in one interview, uh, Panos Cosmotos said that um, this is almost like the imagery you'd see on the uh, tour buses of those kind of 80s rockers. But this is the story of as the people who in those vans whether it be the roadies the crew what yes. their story would be not not so yeah. much the rockers because it's like we see straight off it has that rock and roll like uh, well heavy rock influence whether that be the score or um the use of king crimson and yeah the the visual style and uh, and blatantly with mandy's um t-shirt she wears so she wears yeah. a black sabbath t-shirt a motley crew yeah. t-shirt and it's yeah, these kind of two troubled rock fans basically living this I somewhat idyllic life, having suffered in the past with Red being an ex, uh, well, an ex-alcoholic, and her kind of having an abused childhood, and they've they found yeah, yeah they found themselves in this kind of bizarre place that is almost otherworldly. <laughs> It's completely otherworldly, you know. I mean, I think it also is super influenced by that kind of isolated place out in the mountains, in the in the forest, and all the kind of weird sounds and weird shit that goes on in the forest, you know, that that is also otherworldly and kind of witchy, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's all, the whole thing is very witchy 
and kind of um, there's all this sort of black magic and all that 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 idea that that shit comes out of the forest and lives out in the forest. It made absolute sense, didn't it? So that's added in as well. That's another layer to it. Well, it's that the thing of these these right like back to the point of these riders and them being summoned, like mm. their their explanation. They're supposed to be human. They they kind of got dealt a, a batch of super LSD that kind of turned them into these like um like they kind of dress in these ultra violent fetish gear and kind of faceless creatures and like a moment to talk about is that kind of it's like visually quite upsetting scene of um mandy being taken and like red being restrained that's kind of pitch it's disorientating because it's pitch black and you get these kind of bursts of bright color and you see these like figures moving it's almost like some yeah, ex- experimental art show or something, or kind of installate like what you would get a kind of like a an art installation of just like these big flashing lights and yeah, it's- yeah, and also I think it it kind of it also connects with I think all of the Marvel superhero moment that we're in as well. Yes. You know the way they're dressed; they're not just you know I mean it's such a ridiculous. <laughs> notion that there's some sort of super strain of LSD that not only makes you crazy but turns you into this sort of super powered beast you know they kind of they're kind of uh you know like like Michael Myers or or uh Freddy Krueger they can't yeah. be killed you know i mean it's just it's just, it's just insane and hilarious and visually stunning well, yeah, I and think I, I also think you know the the other thing about it, not to go off on a tangent, yeah. but I think it's there's tons of humor in it. You know, it's actually very funny as well, and I I'm sure that's intentional. Well, yeah, it, it really breaks the tension because this first half kind of culminates in um, Mandy being taken to Jeremiah Sands, and this kind of like horrible scene of her being force-fed lsd via a droplet to the eye and then kind of this this what i can only describe as like an lsd soaked hornet yeah is then made to like sting her in the neck which leads to the like the most captivating and bizarre scenes i've ever seen like in cinema because it's kind of the way the best way i think to describe how it's filmed is it's like watching a 3d film without the 3d glasses on because it's kind of got that like the old school the blue and the red like colors overlapping and everyone's kind of voices tuned down and it's over there's kind of multiple layers and yeah jeremiah sands kind of talks to Mandy about his plan about them becoming one and, and everyone's everything's sort of glowing at the yes. same time you know yeah, like, and everything's got this weird eerie kind of like aura a, it's like a womp it's almost like the way I can like yeah through the like an auditory medium it's like that kind of everything's like womp, womp, like that yeah that, that, that would like if you if you can visualize what a visual that, version yeah, of that yeah. Yeah, yeah what that would look like it's very like but yeah, it all leads up to Mandy like shutting down his ego basically by yeah. la- laughing at him, laughing at his terrible sub carpenters like bore like boring folk rock. Like it's kind of, but he thinks he's God's gift to music, and now he thinks he's just 
God's gift to the world. Yeah. And he, he, he presents himself to her by like bearing all and like that moment, like just of her, like it's, it's both like humorous because it's like, Oh, it's, it's an actual human moment in this madness that like she's, she's kind of sitting through the kind of wackiness and craziness of it all and is laughing, but it's also fucking terrifying. Right. Yeah. His reaction I thought was super terrifying. So imagine if you will, they're in this, the interiors are kind of amazing. They yeah. somehow they have these homes out in the forest and they're all, they're all furnished in this way that are super comfortable, lots of browns and warm, you know, you know, rust colors and the interiors and everything feels like a womb, you know, and everyone's all this kind of low furniture and shag carpets and all this and, you know, bean bags. And you could sort of imagine everyone sort of lying around and that's exactly what their space was like. And this family, this sort of weird cult family is sort of lying around in an almost ceremonial way. And they bring her in, she's in this kind of drug state and Jeremiah kind of uh, starts preaching to her to kind of convert her and then at one, and obviously seduce her at the same time. And at one point he opens his robe and is naked underneath the robe and sings this song, this ridiculous folk song. <laughs> and as you say, she starts laughing at him. I mean, she's literally laughing at him completely naked, right? So she's laughing at, at, she's literally laughing at his dick, right? <laughs> and that drives him bananas. And he starts screaming to his family, his children, don't listen to her. Mm. Don't listen to her. You know, like as if this moment threatened his control over them. And that's when I thought his mania really yeah, yeah. was clear. That was That to me was terrifying how threatened he was by just her laughter. Well, because it says a lot to the like fragility of um, ego and masculinity, like yeah. very much like these people in power. That's why that's why I got these very like within all this kind of like genre and psychic like yeah, being a genre film and the psychedelic imagery in that that it it did have like small barbs to to the current political situation that like especially the US is going through. Um, yeah, it felt it definitely felt like a kind of critique of that that kind of Trumpian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Within, within that scene as well, we get like that moment with the faces. So Jeremiah Sands is talking to Mandy, and their faces like blurring in and out of each other is just yeah. like I I felt I t I'm holding my chest right now because it just made me. It, it, yeah, it made me feel very like. Wow, this is this is weird like the casting for one is amazing that like i was like wow they, they their their faces are very similar like it's yeah. seamless editing well what i was so amazed at with the casting particularly of andrea riseborough i mean i don't know if you know her as an actress yes yeah, she's yeah. gorgeous she is absolutely gorgeous and they made her look like this weird witch I mean, I could, a little bit, she also looked drug fucked, you know, even yes. before, <laughs> you know, she looked like she had been, a, 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 you know, had a tough, tough life because her face was really sallow and her eyes super sunken. And she had a scar, didn't she? Some yes. sort of facial disfigurement. 
And I just was so surprised to see that because I remember when I read the script, I thought, okay, I, I envisioned her as being this sort of stereotypically gorgeous country girl. And I could see Andrea Riseborough being done up in that look. She, she can look so classically beautiful. Yeah. But they really made her look like this kind of broken witch character. Of course, she's got a fantastic body, so that they showed that off as well. But I just was like her face. And it, and it it did look a little bit like his face as well. You could see how they yeah. were inspired to merge them together. You know? And and for someone for like such a like uh, well like an emerging name at the, at the time, I get well no, she had kind of arrived by that point. She's she doesn't really say much in this film, but like her 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 physical acting and her face says so much to how she's feeling kind of like you know exactly like the emotions she's betraying just the the glances she gives to red and like considering considering the plot of this film and on on paper this is very much a schlocky b movie and even the casting of nicolas cage which up until this point like very like throughout the 2010s has done a lot of like straight to well yeah what you'd call straight to dvd movies just a lot yeah, of that absolutely and a lot like, of bad bad film yeah there would be a lot of like flashing lights for a lot of people to be like oh this is this this is this is gonna be this is gonna be that whereas well, like I, I mean i can tell you when i read the script <laughs> i i literally thought this is laughable this is laughable. And I thought to myself, I would love to be in this just so I can be in this major bomb that people will see because it's so bad. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, to yeah. have that on my CV, I think would be an amazing thing, you know? And and I thought, yeah, if, you, if, if they're doing this straight, if they're playing this straight, it is going to be so bad so ridiculous i mean yeah i could only see it being straight to video and, and a huge huge disaster well it managed to kind of become like a, a like a, a late night festival favorite like a lot of um yeah uh and like yeah again listening to interviews with um the director he mentions that like they kind of lucked out like with that well not lucked out they were just dumb enough to like because they wanted to uh nominate like get the well put forward the score at least for an oscar just because right. it was um johan johansson's last ever score before he passed away yeah. and um but yeah to the point of it just kind of on paper looks as you say, like from the script, looked looked terrible. It's it's handled so well, and this like first section kind of culminates in a horrible a horrible moment of Red being like bound up and then like forced to watch his like uh, girlfriend. Yeah, forced to watch Mandy burnt alive in a in a bag, and it is again like. Cr like crazy religious imagery with him he's like bound up with barbed yes. wire um, yeah yeah and again 
like with the casting of uh, Andrew Riseborough, Nicolas Cage's casting like could have been a, a a big red flag for a lot of people, but he does he does it so well. He like in 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 moments, especially this moment, the kind of he he acts so many emotions just for his face from watching like watching her remains on the floor and stuff like that, and then back to the point you made about like levity in this film that kind of horrific moment is followed by one of the most like bizarre almost like adult swim moments of this tv commercial for the cheddar goblin do you do you remember that yeah (laughs) yeah yeah this kind of like i don't know he kind of looks like a boggling gobbles up cheddar and then vomits yeah. macaroni onto kids some sort of muppet yeah yeah yeah, right? yeah. like like a like muppet and, yeah, yeah. And, and yeah and i think it was set in the 80s wasn't it yeah, isn't, yeah, yeah. isn't it all set in the 80s so it felt like the like a vintage tv commercial uh and he sort of wanders back into his house which i mean that's the other thing the lighting is so well oh. done and the house is this amazing, gorgeous house that looks like they built it from scratch, some sort of log cabin, with, but with tons of windows. So the light streams out of the house. And, and then, of course, the TV light, you know, that's a special kind of light as yeah. well that comes through. But he sort of stands in the light of this TV and, you know, in absolute shock, having just watched his girlfriend burnt, burnt alive, and watches this weird... TV commercial, you know, I mean, and it just, you're like, what is going on? <laughs> and, it, and then it's followed by like his, yeah, his acting in the bathroom scene, like the kind right. of, just this one shot of him, a man kind of going from like total despair. Like we get, we get cage, like freak outs to like the nth degree, just like, mm. But with this, like in a lot of his films, it's kind of laughable, whether that be The Wicker Man or like a lot of yeah. those schlocky, like straight to DVD films. This is well earned for one, because it's an hour into the film and you believe every moment of it. You believe this kind of complete despair he has with just like, I've fucking just seen my girlfriend die. Um, like I'm getting the hidden stash of vodka out of the, out of the, like, uh, the bathroom cupboard like he douses himself in it to like disinfect his wounds he he just he he looks gnarled and like oh yeah well he looks far far more gnarled as 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 proceedings go on but yeah what what did you think of that moment i thought it was just i thought it was a standout moment in the film and i think that um i think that's exactly right he you know because it's so crazy and outrageous I think the impulse is to go bigger and bigger and bigger when in fact the director was able to find restraint even in the madness, you know, and not to say it was a restrained moment, but he could have really been hammy and he wasn't. It felt, as you say, it all felt earned and it felt genuine. Even in the, you know, you, you can imagine someone you almost can't imagine that situation. So it's hard to imagine how yes. someone would respond, but it made sense and it, it wasn't hammy. In fact, I don't think it, he was 
I think maybe one one or two moments, but I think they were intentionally done, you know, to add some levity at a certain point where it got a little bit hammy. But but that moment felt very genuine. Yeah, definitely. And this is where the film takes like kind of a marked shift in tone, as I said earlier. Like uh, this, this is when we get the title card to say Mandy mm. in this kind of what can only be described as like black death metal font that kind of comes up and then grows out onto the screen and it's like yes like na- roots yeah now now na- now shit is hit the fan royally yeah. uh jeremiah sands and his kind of goons thought they thought they'd kind of just like got away with it little did they know they'd awaken this beast to like we kind of get a, li- a little bit of a um exposition dumped by the uh like the well-placed character of duke who kind of knows the lore of this biker gang um where he goes to pick up this yeah his kind of almost john wick style hidden hidden arms but not as not as impressive because it's just a a a crossbow (laughs) yes yeah but what is impressive in his arsenal is this kind of again yeah what can only be described as like metal like genuine like like rock yeah rock metal uh axe that he kind of forges which is just like i mean it's so ridiculous he's got a forge (laughs) in his basement yeah yeah, yeah. of course he does you know (laughs) what i mean and but it does look like one of those guitars from one of those metal bands you know those weird guitars that look like satan's staff or something you know Mm -hmm. And it's got all these blades and edges to it. And it's, you know, almost as tall as he is. It's just the most ridiculous thing you've ever seen. And of course he goes down and into his basement and forges it out of, you know, some molten steel. Yeah. Molten steel. (laughs) It's crazy. (laughs) Which sounds like one of the names of a band that would have like, like Jim Hitler, this would have been inspired by. Yeah. Yeah. Like the, the axe as well. Like it reminded me of, um, hr geiger like um who did the art for um the original alien who kind of like designed uh, designed the kind of like planet they go on to and, right. and designed the alien him like itself yeah 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 it's got echoes of that definitely created like yeah i'll i'll, I'll put it in the I'll, I'll put it in the show notes for, for everyone mm. at home but there's um he created a, a a wonderful like mic stand for the lead singer of the band corn that's kind of this like body of a woman and it's kind of like it's very very reminiscent of this axe that that, that uh red creates which is yeah. just kind of this yeah this second half of the film for me felt it kind of took on the um tropes of like video games like in the way that um so he kind of set sets on out on his like journey gets gets captured and kind of like this mm. crazy tries to take down one of these like bikers from hell and like crashes his car into him and it's just like doesn't leave a scratch on him and his car is like flung over to one side but when he awakes in that basement with like in their lair it's kind of like how a lot of like especially modern day games like play out with this you're right. you're stripped of your weapons and you kind of have to like as the levels progress and as you go on to like the next the next foe there's like 
you attain you attain more like items to mm. get to progress. So obviously he starts off with a metal pole. It's kind of got got echoes of almost falling down the like Michael Douglas film where it's like he starts off with a smaller weapon then mm. by the end by the end of that film like Michael Douglas I think is got a bazooka or something something right. crazy like right. that like, right 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 almost like but a- I, one of the moments i loved in in this in this segment was he, as you say he's chained up to the kind of plumbing yeah some pipe or whatever <laughs> um you know handcuffed or whatever to this this plumbing and um in the corner and so you don't really get a sense of what the whole room is yeah and then he has to fight off this leather-clad demon. And at one point, the way he sort of defeats him, he just sort of, you know, they're in this, this pitched kind of wrestle, and he just pitches him over. And it turns out he's chained up next to this massive... <laughs> what the, you know, abyss. Yeah, yeah, like a black abyss. abyss. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like a gaping <laughs> abyss. That just, he just have, there happens to be a gaping abyss that leads... <laughs> To the netherworld in in the basement and he just pitches him over this guy and he falls into this abyss and you i mean he just falls into the blackness and he disappears yeah. mean, down into the center of the earth or something i mean it's ridiculous just these these whole like the costume design on these whole like kind of demon bikers is outstanding the next guy is like oh snorting God. more cocaine than like Tony, like Tony Montana, like could ever yeah. imagine to, whilst he's got um, like a, a blade for a dick, which is just like because he's watching, he's watching vintage eighties porn and yeah. like, yeah, Red tries to sneak up behind him, like managed to get the best of him, but like this kind of they live in they live in squalor, which it looks like kind of I don't. The only way I could describe it is just like. Um, what I would imagine loads of like uh, mobile homes kind of like yes. squashed together, like whilst being next to a like a building site or some or something. It's kind of yeah. It's the geography yeah. I found a lot in this film, like added to the tone and like because you kind of didn't know where anything was or where anything was going really. Like you yeah. got no sense of the kind of internal geography of like very much like in the way of The Shining, like. You could turn a corner and you didn't know where you like. Yeah, what would that? What, yeah, how would that it, be mapped out? Like it would change. It would. It would. It would be very different. I mean, it all sort of had a kind of eerie, otherworldly sense. Mm-hmm. You never. You were never at the mall, or you were never in some space that you were no, no, that no. felt familiar. <laughs> but but it was always. But it was different. Different iterations of this kind of netherworld fantasy world somehow grounded in yes in in imagery that you were familiar with like you said like those the, those that 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 particular space felt like a a mobile home so it was a little bit familiar but then it had a kind of gaping abyss in the basement <laughs> which made no sense and i remember again reading the script and that moment with that weird leather clad biker character demon essentially masturbating to porn but instead of a dick had a massive blade and then you know they battle and cage is on the ground with his legs splayed open 
and the demon with the blade dick goes to essentially fuck him, but instead gets the blade stuck in the floor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. And I remember reading this and being like, okay, this is, this is laughable. <laughs> this is laughable. This, this film is a mess, a complete, how did it get this far? How did Nicolas Cage get attached to this? I couldn't, I just couldn't believe it. And also, you know, one of the producers is Elijah Wood. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Spectre vision. I was like, what was what is Elijah Wood thinking? This is well, crazy. But it worked. Well, Eli Elijah Wood's company, Spectre Vision, kind of they have I think they have a partnership with uh Shudder, the the streaming service, and like produce mm -hmm. a lot of kind of bizarre horror and or especially horror inflected stuff but mm. yeah, in in an interview uh with linus roach nicholas cage and panos cosmotos they said like one of the best things about making this film and especially doing it through that production company was they were so hands-off um, right elijah wood and i believe it's daniel noah um his like producing partner had seen um panos's previous film uh beyond the black rainbow which very yeah. much from what i've read and like seen is um uh a, a, like spiritually like companioned with this film not so much like sequel like but this right it's kind of this film expands on a lot of the uh themes and visuals that 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 film deals with so this right. kind of like the the next level up i guess and yeah they said that hands-off approach kind of left them to make exactly like whatever the fuck they wanted like amazing and it gave us moments like yeah the moment you just mentioned and the moment that like follows it where he like slits his throat and cage is just like covered in blood and laughing yeah. Ends up offing another one of these like goons, takes his weapon, and then like possibly one of like I I saw it as a gif ages ago, but like one of the the like bet like the moment that stood out for me throughout this whole film was he kind of retools up, gets all his weapons back, which again like reminded me of a uh, like a game because they're all conveniently just like the crossbows in the cupboard the axes yes. in like the axes there he's got like he's now got an uh like a bulletproof vest on and um he dips his finger in like this super lsd and just takes takes a little like dab after he'd just taken a, a shard of glass full of cocaine like so he's gone from being a sober man ex-alcoholic to literally just over the other end of the spectrum yeah and that that moment that kind of uh, yeah i'd say it's maybe 10 20 seconds that kind of visual blast we get of what it would be like to take take that lsd is just i thought it was fantastic like the kind yeah. of uses yeah. mixtures of like stop animation and uh kind of mirrors that image from uh indiana jones and with the, the yeah, melting with the face, melting face yeah, yeah. and all that yeah 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 and we kind of get all this cosmic imagery and then like then we know right this film's gone up another gear this is revenge times 10 yeah. and like the kind of beats of it play out from there on just it is take off take 
taking off one person at a time in just further increasingly crazy and like blood curdling ways really isn't yeah. it like it's kind yeah. of i don't yeah Who, who's the first he it's brother swan right it's the first uh, one he kind of takes out of the brother cult swan. yeah yeah which, yeah um, yeah which just, is also a great moment where he has that weird axe sword thing down his throat yeah. and kills him that way. And that was the part that I was up for. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was thrilled to think, oh, that would be amazing to have to die like that yeah, yeah, on yeah, film. Yeah. And I kept thinking of my nephews, you know, they're <laughs> teenagers. And I thought, wouldn't it be great for my nephews to see their Uncle David get it like that? You know what I mean? I just thought yeah, that was yeah, hilarious yeah, yeah. And, and would have been fantastic. But oh, well, it wasn't meant to be. And just but, the uh, idea of seeing like, because I imagine there'd be some kind of like either a prosthetic of that actor made just to like to get that shot just to see just to see that do you know what I mean like yeah. The, yeah. The, the photo opportunities of yourself next to like yeah you're you're the other kind of like opened mouth blood filled yeah <laughs> would have yeah, yeah. would have been fantastic and would have yeah, been great we see like a lovely moment as well that he lets uh one of the female members of the Mm. uh family go which like very much you can see that they are a cult that very much exploit women and they are kind of just there under jeremiah's light sands like control really and that, as we see how they treated mandy with just keeping her drugged up and as you said like plays very much back into that um tiger king thing that keeping people drugged up and keep yeah. power over yeah. Yeah, it's a control thing. But I love the woman who played the kind of matron oh. of of the yes. uh, of the cult. You know, the older woman who felt like uh, uh, Jeremiah Sands, sort of like original. Um, you know, his original wife, or who knows what, and had been you know stand, standing by him for you got you got this understanding that she had been with him for a long time even as he brought in younger women to satisfy him and she was she felt it when he would bring in other women you know there was mm -hmm. a whole conversation that they had early on where she tried to please him and he wasn't he was really dismissive of her and you could see her real pain in that she was great I loved her. I thought oh. she that, that was very human as well. Her. Yeah, just that yeah. that whole idea you were saying about the kind of well, you see it a lot in life. Just that kind of people, or like the the way I can describe it is if I don't, you have a group of friends and then like somebody, oh yeah, I'm bringing along my new friends, and you can everyone kind of gets that feeling sometimes of being like. Oh, well, like uh, you're really excited about these people what about me i've known you 10 years yes <laughs> like, yes but, yes yeah 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 but in this yeah, yeah in the in this kind of that's a very trivial obviously explanation of it but just the she weirdly has like this um, a mothering quality to mm -hmm. her yet mm -hmm. yet a kind of yeah like scorned like ex-lover quality like quality to her and I don't know who the actress is. I, probably I don't know either, actually. I didn't know her. And then that great moment when she injects Mandy with the serum mm -hmm. before they take her to Jeremiah 
And she says to her something like, I wish it were me, or you're so lucky, you know, that you're yeah. going to have Jeremiah's attention. You know, she doesn't say that whole phrase, but you yeah. can just, you know, that was, I thought, really great and really, you know, so creepy. So, so creepy. She's called Alwyn, I don't know how to name yeah, her. Yeah, for, for her. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. She was great. And she, what a witch as well. She absolutely looks like a witch. And yeah, she reminded, like, at a glance, I thought, like, she remind, like, it reminded me of, Glenn, like, Glenn Close, like, mm-hmm. a bit, like, facially. She, yeah, like, a little bit younger, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, if you could kind of, like, invent, yeah, especially, like, um, what's the what's the famous Glenn Close? Um, Fatal Attraction. Fatal Attraction, yeah. yeah kind of like got a bit of that. Got, but, yeah, and um, as he offs them off, like, one by one, it kind of, I think the, the moment that has kind of circulated with a lot of people, I might miss might miss sell this film to a lot of people. Is kind of like mm-hmm. um, the chainsaw fight. Like a lot of people, kind of like have been like. That's one thing I would say about this film is by looking at the poster, by being told about moments like that, I think you would expect a far different film to what you get because, like, this is very much. In the, it is the art house borrowing from the grindhouse as opposed to the opposite. Like a lot of people expect this film to be very much like sleazy, just from the get go, right? Kind of revenge, right. revenge right. thriller. Whereas it's a lot more artfully done and like yeah. low paced. But, but even that, yes, the, the, the sort of chainsaw fight is a trope we've seen a million times, but even that was done with, you know, a, a spin and, and a kind of, um, uh, a creative vision to it that, I mean, of course that the, the extremity of that <laughs> blade that he pulls out that, that, you know, this massive, um, chainsaw that's you know like three times the length of a normal chainsaw three or four times the length of a normal chainsaw i mean it's well the, you again, know, this has just come to me now i think that obviously probably plays in as well to the um to, to, to the thing of like mass masculinity do you of know course. Mean? it's like yeah, yeah, it is my, my dick's bigger than your dick like yeah yeah, yeah absolutely <laughs> and, but also you know he was uh you know read the nicholas cage part he's a He's a lumberjack, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's his world. You know, he's out during the days in that weird forest cutting down trees with chainsaws. And they show that early in the film. Yeah, yeah. So this sort of brings it back to his world. But then it's twisted and taken to a crazy extreme by the, the cult members, you know? Yeah. And that, like after he offs this guy, we then, we then get to the um, mother Marlene character. He kind of confronts her. Yeah. Um, well, I think in, in between then he might have thrown an axe in some guy's head, but yes. it's a very quick off. Like, yeah. But again, visually, like really great, great, like really great. Just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then, actually, don't don't forget, there's that weird journey he goes on to find Mother Marlene and um, Jeremiah, and then they, it also now moves into another phase because he goes the whole geography changes. And it gets real hellscape, you know, this real weird, there's this crazy kind of church in this empty canyon and he gets his 
is it his motorcycle or something stuck in this weird kind of lava or something? It's I mean, like an ATV. Knows what's it? going yeah, on? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, I'm just trying to look here to where this was filmed because I just kind of. I think it was like in Poland or somewhere in Eastern Europe, is my recollection. Yeah, because it's got it, it. It looks like no, it like it. It looks like no nowhere out, especially like I don't know. It looks like in it's all in valleys and caverns and like the imagery, like that it gets. There's a shot, like a, a very specific shot of him kind of like driving that ATV at one point down like this kind of weird tunnel. And like, again, like it gives you no sense of like, I think someone says like the, the chemist tells him to go north. Um, yeah. But then like, we don't really like, we don't really get a sense of like where that is in relation to anything else, like how far he's actually traveled um, between his... No. Where, yeah, his, his house and... And that chemist is in some sort of, like, X-Men... He's like an X-Men villain, right? In this weird compound, super modern, super kind of technologically sound, minimal space. But then also which, just looks like... That looks like it's in kind of the void as well. It's almost yeah, like... Yeah, exactly. Those, those moments in The Matrix when they kind of, like are in the code as it were and they're just kind of standing around a vast yeah. nothingness yeah you kind of see this black and his station and then over, over i mean there. a little bit this is where i began kind of thinking like okay this is this is i appreciate you know the artistry of it but it's really pushing my ability to it's it's so random yes now and so uh so disconnected and doesn't make any sense now that it's beginning to feel like, okay, this is just some sort of exercise in visual, you know, filmmaking because yeah, for me, you've, lost, felt... you've a little bit lost me now because this doesn't, this is really, you know, for me, even that... the world that you've created doesn't, yeah. doesn't hold together anymore. For me, that moment felt like the, um, the image of the tiger kind of, uh, growling at, like with the sun in the background came before yeah. that scene, and it's how can we get from that point to to that image? Just because I really want to shoot that image, because it, again, it draws upon like it looks like something you would have on the back of like see on the back of someone's like metal jacket or something, yeah. like, or, yeah. or that yeah. artwork, yeah, yeah, and like the the when he eventually gets to their temple. It is like visually fucking like striking, and like you mentioned, Midsummer very much reminds me of like that kind of stark, like pagan, like that pyramid. Yeah. If anyone that sort of Scandi, mm -hmm. one of these Scandi churches, you know, out in the you know somewhere in Scandi world, out in the countryside, you know, but all wood slatted and kind of kind of angular, and and uh, you know you know, with a, with a steeple and all this. Yeah, really. And it, yeah, it reminded me again, I know I'm on a, a probably uh, drawing back to a film you might not have like seen, like visually these moments reminded me of um, the, ho yeah, the Holy Mountain, which like has this kind of 
weird temple in the middle of a city and again like i would be interested i couldn't find it but i'd be i, I would bet my bottom dollar that uh, panos cosmotos is probably inspired by hodorowsky mm. who is kind of the king of like surrealism and like some of it quite questionable because especially the holy mountain like there's a lot of depiction of like the treatment of animals that is like that might have actually fucking happened like, right, but, like yeah but has these moments of uh i don't know I guess it. I guess it is a kind of trope of surrealism that has these moments of levity, but has these moments of brutality, like this, like like the same the same kind of box of toys that this film is playing with. I do feel mm. like, like the holy, yeah. If I kind of, if if anyone like yourself or the people listening, if you if you if you've enjoyed this film, like kind of the step up, I think would be the holy mountain. I'm not saying it's probably even more like disjointed and fucking nuts than this film mm. but like it's kind of it's the granddaddy to this film mm-hmm. kind mm-hmm. of doesn't doesn't take influence from that like uh grindhouse aesthetic and like revenge stuff it is just it leans very much more to the image before uh before plot story storytelling mm-hmm, um mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but yeah when like it kind of I, I don't know whether to say this film it obviously goes out with a bang at the end because he he inevitably sets fire to their thingy but like kind of his confrontation which i thought would no, no. go ahead I, I think i know what you're gonna say his confrontations are like you like you very quickly just see how pathetic and small these people are like with uh mother marlene kind of Mm. instantly just being like i can fulfill your every wish like like again like a weirdly sexy scene like in this like threatening and sexy at the same time when she talks about like kind of she can she can desperate yeah but she can like know know a lover's wishes and like fulfill them before they even know like what what the next step's going to be and then like (laughs) i think it's great we don't we don't kind of see anything from cage not even facially of what he thinks of her he um we just kind of get his answer in the next scene when he uh confronts uh jeremiah right when he throws throws her head into his kind of, I don't I don't know yeah. what, what what is that what is that what is that room he's in? Yeah, see, I was disappointed with the visuals of the final confrontation between Cage and Jeremiah. I have to say, I think he had sort of run out of ideas and maybe ran out of money as well, <laughs> because that didn't it really didn't live up to the buildup. There was almost nothing to it. And the, the, the set felt very, um, you know, uh, very bland compared to everything else. And, and the, the, the final confrontation didn't, it, it kind of didn't satisfy me. There wasn't, there wasn't enough to it. Well, you didn't really like le- learn anything from... No. 
any 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 of the kind of key players. You didn't like we we already knew that Jeremiah was this like he didn't he 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 wasn't what he thought he was like we had kind of that had been established with the kind of like taking down and dressing down like literally he got from Mandy like when she laughed at him so at this point when he's kind of revealed like the man behind the curtain at the end of the Wizard of Oz like it's yes like, yeah but we had, we we knew that already we, we knew, knew that yeah we we yeah. knew that so uh, like all it was really for was so I don't know the the props department could have a good day in creating a uh, <laughs> a version of Linus Roach's head that Nicolas Cage could squeeze until his head popped, basically. Like, a... did did you ever see the? Did you ever see um, there will be blood? Yes, 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 yes. That final scene mm-hmm. is what I wanted. Yes, that, that yes. The, the 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 final scene of there will be blood is so horrific and graphic but also there's this great kind of power play that goes on between the two characters a kind of pleading and a humiliation that happens and I just wanted that kind of extended moment between the two of them that could have really I think made it feel worthwhile you know (laughs) For for me, like I think, like an easier way, just an editing way around this film, like that could could slightly improve it, would be to you that you see the confrontation with uh, like uh, Mother Marlene, maybe, and then uh, we don't actually see the confrontation between Jeremiah Sands because the as I said, the reveal you get isn't do, like doesn't tell us anything new. If it then cut to him walking out of the burning church, we like visually we're told he won because yeah. the, the final payoff of this film is like, even if it's like spiritually, he is like brought back together with Mandy. Uh, like he kind of has this like quite a beautiful ending in that like he, you can only guess he's kind of envisions the moment that they first met and they, he looks, mm. he now looks normal sat in the car ready to drive home. She sat next to him and it's not until we kind of get that cut to his like crazed blood soaked face that was like amazing. That cut yeah, yeah, well. yeah. <laughs> amazing and funny, you know, like really yeah, yeah, yeah. weirdly funny right at the, the end. Yeah. And then he kind of just like drives off into the distance. It's like, great. Yeah, but I, and I love the I love the burning church behind him, yeah, the yeah, temple yeah. all falling. That was all great. I just felt like that that final confrontation with Jeremiah just needed something else. Like maybe maybe Jeremiah could have tra- almost captured Nicolas Cage in a spell, mm-hmm. you know, like preached to him, and almost Nicolas Cage was like maybe kind of wavering maybe maybe these people are right maybe he is maybe i should follow him maybe do you know what i mean yeah and then he you know broke out of it and attacked him so there was at least some tension in that moment because as soon as he got there nicholas cage had all the weapons jeremiah had nothing he knew what was going to happen and there was never any moment of question and so it just felt I don't know. It just didn't deliver the, the end to me. I mean, easy for me to say, right? We're, we're sitting here <laughs> watching it, but it was a... So, like, an interesting thing, I'm not sure, obviously, yeah, you were, you 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 auditioned for the role of Brother mm. Swan. 
Um, mm. Originally, this film was offered to Nicolas Cage for the character of um, Jeremiah Sands as, oh, as really? the Linus Roach character. Yeah. Um, oh, okay, interesting. Which, like, to talk about, like, uh, how things could have been, like, we, yeah, we could have been, I could, I could have been talking to the gentleman. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Glenn. Uh, it's Den- uh, the guy who played Brother Swan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His name's Dennehy. Is his his. Yes. Surname. So I could have been talking to Glenn Dennehy right now, talking about Nicholas Cage <laughs> as, <laughs> Jeremiah, as Jeremiah Jeremiah Sands and yourself yeah. as uh, Brother Swan. Like, yeah. So, so yeah, just like treat me like a layman here. Like, how, how did this kind of fall upon your? your desk or like uh well i um how did it happen i i had been in a film uh uh, a um stephen freer's film in 2017 called lawrence foster jenkins and um i got that from a casting agent who saw me on stage so i didn't have an acting agent at that time and it was just a, a pure luck and it was a great opportunity and I was, you know, so thrilled to do it. And then once that came out, I went around and started looking for proper acting yeah. agents and I got an agent, a company called The Narrow Road. And what happens, my experience with agents always, and I've had a few now, is that you get six months and in that six months, that agent can get you seen by a lot of people, by yeah. everyone they know, right? Not everyone, but everyone they know, all the casting agents they know. So I went up for a whole mess of things, just a, a, an absolute range of things from Justice League to uh, Mandy to um, uh, uh, what was the uh, Holmes and Watson uh, to uh, something that uh, 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 Danny Boyle was doing, some TV show, blah, 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 just a whole range of things, all, all sort of smaller parts or kind of supporting parts, but, but some really great parts as well. And I didn't get any of them. <laughs> but uh, one of them that I went up for was Mandy. And in fact, the scene that I read was cut out of the film didn't oh, make it in interesting. so there you may remember that they kind of sacrificed this boy yes. to the uh, the weird biker demons this sort of chubby follower yeah, boy yeah, yeah. that they have and they sort of and there's a very quick moment where they see where you see the boy being taken by the demons but that's that's all there yeah, is yeah, to yeah. it but in fact in the, in the script there was this whole kind of little story arc around that moment and the boy got left behind while Nicolas Cage was still tied up as the family left to sort of keep an eye on Nicolas Cage. And Brother Swan had a whole interaction with the boy about, you know, you're doing really well. We really value you, you know, keep yeah. an eye on him. You're in charge, all this kind of stuff. And they drive away, and then the demons come and snatch the boy and take him away. So the, the part was even, there was even more to the part than, than we saw in the, yeah, yeah. in the final. But I mean, that often happens anyway. But anyway, so I, I went up for the part, and, and I remember 
you know, in, in the casting, you know, you sort of read multiple times, you go through the script and they kept saying, less, we want less from you. Make it as natural as possible, like as, as normal as possible. Give us, give us less because it seemed so heightened to me. The whole thing seemed so heightened mm-hmm. that I, I think I went in with this kind of heightened acting style. And that's exactly what we saw in, in the final cut. I mean, they were all very naturalistic, excuse me. And, and that's what made it as creepy as it was, how natural it all was and how, like we were talking about Nicolas Cage, how genuine the whole thing, even in the outrageous circumstances, how genuine the whole style of acting was. Um, and the guy who got it, I mean, it was a really good and a, you know, <laughs> extremely experienced actor as well. Someone who's been around much longer, has a much longer career than I and has worked, you know, uh, on everything. So I what, didn't feel too bad that <laughs> I didn't get it, you know. Well, it so. is that thing that is that, like uh, a script, like, well, like a film like this with the kind of... Um, tone it kind of creates and stuff like that i feel like yeah like it needs it need it, it i don't think it would work with 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 anything like that it like i don't know if 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 they let cage up to 11 the whole time i think yeah. this film would have been a it, disaster if the acting was too stylized it, it absolutely not would not have worked because yeah. it needed that because that, then it then the whole thing would have felt like a cartoon mm-hmm and I think in, in, it was such a, you know, the director is really, I think, quite clever and was able to draw real genuine performances in the midst of kind of a swirling cartoon world that kept it grounded in something that we could believe and follow and stay with. Well, um, yeah, he's, uh, well, he's, he's, from, he's from good stock, uh, the director. He's is he? from, uh, uh, George Cosmatos uh, was um, a director in his own right who directed oh. uh, the uh, sequel to Rambo. So he did first oh, right. part two, Cobra, okay. Uh, okay. Leviathan, and Tombstone. The uh, oh right, Western. okay, oh right. So right. and um, so he learned from so, uh, you know well, yeah his father his father professional. His father passed away like many years ago, I think. Um, mm. And the, well, both, both, both his, and he's very, he's very like, yeah, from interviews that he's very open about like th- those things. And the, these, especially this film, I think deals a lot with grief, like and mm, yeah. how, how people like do, do like deal. With, and it's a very like he, yeah, he's 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 spoken to. Um, Elijah Wood, uh, he he has a podcast, all like and kind of interviews like the directors of his films, basically. Right. And he talked like he talks about like he kind of got into directing as a form of therapy, basically. Like this is like it's 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 a very like I, it's a luxury to be able to do that. I'm sure like yeah. like my, me or yourself might have to just kind of work out our troubles as opposed to like going. I've got, I've got some residuals from doing second unit on Tombstone. I'll just like start off a directing career to work out the shit in my head. But well, like, I mean, the other thing that that's so that I hadn't thought about, but you point or that that strikes me as you you speak. There's there's tons of echoes of Rambo in this. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, it's 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 a lot of Rambo. Actually, it's in in many ways, it's a kind of homage well, to it, Rambo, it, isn't it? It bo- it borrows from other things just very cleverly, like, and doesn't doesn't stick on them too long. Like, it kind of it gives you a nice dose of like the Evil Dead with the chainsaw mm. and the kind of like the moments of levity and this kind of hero doused in blood and just like mm. crazed as especially like the evil dead two that kind of like amps it up to almost like, uh, I think famously Sam Raimi always said like the evil dead is supposed to be the free stooges, but blood and guts instead of custard pies. Right. So right. like, and this, right. th- like this film kind of, yeah, play plays, plays with those tools with like, mm. And it's, I don't know. It's what's that great film? What's that great film from the 70s with Burt Reynolds and Ned Beatty where they're sort of on a rafting trip into the into the woods and they get the like the hillbillies start picking them off one by one? Um, are, are we talking about deliverance? Deliverance, yes, yeah, <laughs> it's got a bit of a deliverance flavor to it as well, doesn't yeah, it's, it? It's, it's kind of it kind of like borrows from this, but like I don't know, it's it's like how it borrows from uh 1980s uh rock metal like imagery yeah. and stuff like that yes and it's like a greatest hits of that stuff it's it does have this kind of like greatest hits of homages to whether that be like cult favorite like 70s x like uh hard hit like yeah if this came out in the 80s this would this would have been very much like under the like people passing around VHS tapes of it. It would have been like in this country, I reckon like I don't know, because there were I I could see this being a fairly mainstream really I mean, not mainstream. I think if it came out in the eighties, it would have been less arty mm-hmm. and they would have made it more yeah. kind of like those terrible, all the terrible um <laughs> sequels to Halloween, yeah, yeah. sequels to, you know, the Friday the thirteenth kind of stuff that it feels like they're doing now again with all these really bad you know it's so funny horror is such a uh, having such a moment in Hollywood and you get good Hollywood good indie directors doing horror but then of course mainstream Hollywood gets on the bandwagon and does all the same garbage that they did from the 80s really bad really conventional really obvious all the same tropes and uh I've, I've always said that they missed such an opportunity with the most recent well they've missed so many opportunities with halloween <laughs> but but with the most recent one they should have given it to like an indie director and let them do something really creative with the halloween story instead of giving us the same halloween story we've seen a million times well yeah i i talked recently about like um in regards to like uh, Nicholas Cage and just like you saying about like um, giving those big properties uh, like a film studio that kind of do really well uh, for kind of well no, they're not they're a distribution company like A24 we like mm. I was having a conversation mm. about like how um, Nicholas Cage is probably due a uh, like Adam Sandler style like reinvention as we got with Adam Sandler in uh, Uncut yeah. Gems earlier. Yeah. Yeah. And like yeah. working with one of like those directors, whether it be like a, a Robert Eggers who directed yeah. The Lighthouse or the Safety yeah. Brothers with Uncut yeah. Gems. And, like, yeah. 
like that kind of thing and yeah, yeah in the hands of one of those directors like you saying about those big properties would have been great but at the same time i'm i'm so excited to see like because they seem just wholly drawing upon like original stuff do you know what i mean where or or, yeah. or they may they may be like, like yeah yeah and with these like i think it's so hard with these big properties to not just do all this kind of fan service and draw upon yeah. nostalgia so much which i think this film gets right because it, it it kind of like it gives you a little glimpse of nostalgia and obviously the setting and the t- the time period and the the nods to other films but it's it doesn't it's not like knowingly just like going hey guys look how look how smart we are look how like yeah look look Look, look what we're doing here or or, or really signposting all their mm-hmm. references you know yeah. um and but it does sort of feel like one of those films that in 20 years time 15 years time will have garnered so much uh such a following mm-hmm. that it will either be remade by another director or a sequel do you know what I mean? Yes. It is someone will come along, maybe even a big studio will come along and embrace it and embrace the the heritage and legacy of it and return and we'll we'll go back to it, you know? I, I hope the legacy of this film uh, for me is that it like this personally is that it just does the Friday night circuits at whether it be your um Prince Charles cinemas in London or like yeah. do, do you know what I mean? I I like just revival maybe like put yeah, but, out a- but so many of those films so many of those films live in that world for a period of time mm-hmm. and they gar you know they, yeah. they really garner a following and then once that following's big enough hollywood comes up comes a calling you know because that's that- that's a, a ticket and they yeah. can then create something that we were talking about Hall- that halloween has done and just something that just references all mm-hmm. you know is a nostalgia fest that, and it would surprise me if they don't if that doesn't happen to this because I'm sure because we know that a following has already been built around this and that following is only going to grow. Mm-hmm. Well, I think yeah, uh, I've got a couple of final extra questions for you, David, because I have um, a very bizarre kind of way of generating a score for a Nicolas Cage. I'm not I'd like I I don't go into these films looking at uh, Rotten Tomatoes or anything like that because I feel right. sometimes that can be complete bullshit you should judge a film on its own merits but in regards to Nicolas Cage it's a bit of fun I kind of have like uh, a three point system that I always do which is okay let's let's do it so so the first question is um does Nick Cage have bad hair in this film it didn't strike me as bad hair in this film it it was not something that I I, you know yeah no Um, it was I mean it was bad at moments because it called for bad hair but it wasn't like bad styling. Well, yeah, like um, a lot of the films, it's, it's that, that's normally a good thing because a lot of the, a lot of the, uh, when they can't afford the hair pieces, we know that we're not in for a good time. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the the next question is, does he have uh, a crazy voice? Obviously, Nicolas Cage is known for kind of adopting these bizarre voices where it be vampires kiss or like no i don't think he did i don't think he did i think you know at times his voice was crazy but it again it was called for so it was not out of context bizarre a standout moment for that for me i think it's when he delivers the line uh you've ripped my shit to I one mean, of the <laughs> and it's just kind of it 
it's a it almost sounds like he's been possessed for a moment because like you read my shit and it's like it's it's completely different to his delivery of anything else in the film uh which brings me to my third and final question of my uh cage rating which is uh do we get a cage freak out in this film yes <laughs> in fact the whole thing feels like a cage freak out in a way <laughs> but um but again i don't think it was out of context i think yeah. it was all managed well and it's a cage freak out with restraint and good editing and he was yeah he i think he was pretty much on target throughout yeah it's, it's something i always talk about with people like we end up it's, it's a topic that always comes up is I feel that uh, Nicolas Cage is someone that, given the right direction, or somebody somebody who can kind of rein him in, you'll get you'll get gold. Like you see it a lot with uh, other actors, whether it be like a Johnny Depp, with like if he's a, if he's allowed to kind of run riot on like the parts of the Caribbean films, he will just kind of like play the fool all day and yeah. drive the film into the ground. And like Nicolas Cage can do that but given the right the right material and the kind of right vision and a director who just kind of goes no i want this from you yeah and knows how to like almost harness that raw energy that he like yeah. can portray on screen we get gold like this like this film so it's, yeah it brings me to my f like final question i always ask like would you, you said it at the beginning but would you recommend people watching this film absolutely perfect uh absolutely david it's been an absolute pleasure um where can people keep up to date with what you're doing whether that be uh the uh the podcast you do is focus people right it's called focus people with david mills yeah that's uh you can find that on all your favorite podcast channels <laughs> um uh and you can follow us on social media focus people pod on twitter and instagram or just follow me on david mills department d-e-p-t david mills depth on twitter uh, my uh, uh, website is It's David Mills, and uh, I occasionally post various uh, clips, YouTube things that I'm doing there. And um, you know, someday when the lockdown is done <laughs> and we there's a vaccine, I expect the comedy circuit to open again. So hopefully, I'll be back out on the circuit before too long. Yeah, right, great. It's been, a, it's been an absolute <laughs> honor talking to you, David. It's been a pleasure. Take care, man. You too. You too. Hang in there. I think you'll find from that chat that both me and David found the film very experiential and perhaps left us a bit bewildered and confused. Uh, I've since re-watched Mandy and it kind of had profound, seems like too big of a word, but I, I really took something away from it. And uh, you can always listen to me kind of talking about that in quite some detail On January 12th, over at Sudden Double Deep, I sat down with Daryl, Jeanette and Matt to talk about a triple bill of Nick Cage films. I'll leave it, I'll leave it at that, as they would say. I'll leave it as a sizzle to uh, for you to find out which three films they are, but it was an absolute joy. If you happen to disagree with me or David about uh, Mandy in any way please do feel free to get in touch via email cagedinpod at gmail.com or you can find me on all the socials which is at cagedinpod 
So that's Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Yeah, get involved in the conversation and let me know what you think about the films that we talk about and if there's anyone you would like me to interview, especially if you've got a link up to them, let me know. Uh, I I would love to talk to them. Uh, There's people from this film specifically are on my hit list and my bucket list of people that i really want to talk to you can also find the podcast on letterbox under the same handle if you would like to support caged in in any way you can do that by going over to patreon.com forward slash caged in pod where you will be able to get an array of bonus content uh, links to the discord page where we can kind of have a bit more of like a focused discussion about certain Nicolas Cage related or just film related topics in our kind of safe haven away from the kind of prying eyes of something mad like Twitter kind of like a I don't know a caged in club if you will as well as podcasts a whole week early So if you sign up now, you will be able to listen to my conversation and next week's episode of the Caged In podcast, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, where I will be joined by the fantastic returning guest, David Trumbull, to talk about all things animation and the themes and what this film meant to us. It's It's a really great conversation, and I'm sure you'll be fully aware if you listened to the conversation I had with David on The Croods earlier this year. If you want to support the podcast by getting one of the limited edition Superman Caged In prints, head on over to cagedinpodcast.limitedrun.com. So, as always, guys, I have been your host, Petrus Patsivas. I have been Caged In. You have been amazing. Cheers. Bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 
This podcast is presented by the Breadcrumbs Collective, home of the Pod Charles Cinecast, Caged In Coppola Connections, A Droop Town Limery, Maine, Franchised, and many more to come. Our shows are all presented ad-free and made possible by listeners like you. Please support our shows by subscribing, leaving ratings and reviews, and becoming patrons at patreon.com. If you'd like to learn more about Breadcrumbs, head over to breadcrumbscollective.com. Breadcrumbs. It's more than a podcast network. It's family.